Hey, Augmenters. I'm Julie. And I'm Jimmy. We know that great leaders have great mentors. And today we are joined by Gino Ferrand, a serial entrepreneur, a people leader, and founder of Tecla, a leading staffing platform. Today, Gino helps us understand how to connect better with others by simply repeating, be humble. Start that way with each interaction. We are going to learn how to grow to our potential by avoiding self-sabotage. And Gino shares the number one reason why outsourced consultants fail when working for U.S.-based companies. This entire episode is based upon the principle of resilience because different cultures and styles are key to an exciting life. However, it takes great leaders to understand how individual differences can be recognized and celebrated. Gino, here we go. All right, Gino Ferrand, we are so happy to have you on Augmenters today. We're excited for a great conversation, talking about all kinds of different things from North America to South America, from hiring to talent development. And we are super excited for this conversation. So thank you very much for joining us today. No, thank you guys for inviting me. Gino, we have a question for you. We have a question that we ask all our guests when they first come on the show to introduce themselves is we know that mentors... The question is, have you been in an igloo before? Have you been (laughs) in an igloo before? And do you know that there are igloos in Washington state? And I'm going to send you both a picture so that you can believe me because I know you think I'm making it up. But shout out Gunther Oki. We built an igloo together. Besides that, Gino, going back, mentors are people who believed in you before you believed in yourself and who was that for you and what did they see i mean when i was in high school even i was starting to tinker with like wanting to create a brand and and sell online and this was around like 2000 2005 2006 and my mom has always been the person that's been sort of listening even from from back then to like the crazy ideas i had and eventually like because i think of my excitement she would come on board like she's more of like the skeptic kind of person so she would be like okay well how are you gonna do that and that and you know not not be too interested i think in my business idea as like a kid but eventually with my excitement and i this typically happens i think to most people that i tell ideas to or like what i want to work on is eventually they like buy in and then i notice that like we're now on the same wavelength they're like both as excited so i'm like okay i i think i that person is now like they they get it and so yeah my mom was always she was like i created a when i was a senior in high school i got injured i was an athlete i i played a lot of soccer that was my main sport also basketball but mm-hmm. i mean so i coming from mm-hmm. peru soccer was my is still my sport and so i actually i fractured my skull it sounds worse than it Whoa. was so, i mean it, it did oh. hurt but it was just like a head-to-head collision really kind of freak accident ouch yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. And so I it was the recovery was fine, but I was out for the rest of the season and I decided I wanted I to I hope you it. mean you were uh, awake, just <laughs> not I was sidelined, but fully awake. And, you know, besides not being able to play, I felt fine and everything. I I got it like really 
great. Um, actually, one of the players on the team, uh, his dad was a nose and, you know, surgeon. And so he was the one that fixed uh, the, the thing, this this, mm. this area right here and uh, did a pretty good job. Yeah. So then I, I actually went into jewelry making. I decided I'm going to take a jewelry making course because I can't play any sports. And then, yeah, I started a jewelry line and my mom helped me do like she was like, OK, well, everything I told her she would help. So I was like, okay, well, I need to find a vendor for the stones and she would go and she would, you know, send me first. She would always be like, okay, sure, whatever. And then in my, <laughs> in my email, I would get her text messages. I would get like her vendor ideas and stuff. So it's kind of like, she's always kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of listening. But then after the conversation, she's like sending me potential vendors for stones and stuff like that. So it was, yeah, she's always been by my side. Okay. I have two questions. One, are you an only child? Kind of. So okay. my mom married twice. I have an older, uh, I have half siblings. I'm yeah. the only child of my mom and dad, but um, I'm guessing you're asking because of what I'm saying about my mom or something. Are you saying? No, about- just because yeah. um, we are, my experience has been that entrepreneurs, like most of my closest entrepreneur friends are only children. And I think the idea of you spending time sitting with your mom telling her your business ideas does definitely right. sound yeah. like an only child kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I asked. So my older um, half sibling, the one I grew up with, he's 11 years older. So he was already in college when I was in, you know, finished like in middle school. And um, so, yeah, this when high school, it was just me and my mom and my stepdad. And we moved from from Peru. I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. So that's why the jewelry making to very artsy town and um, mm-hmm. took a course with like a great kind of semi-retired, um, amazing jeweler that was living in Santa Fe. And he had a little workshop for like five people, five, six people. I think it was five women and, and myself in the class. And was your mom an entrepreneur? Was she a business owner? Yeah, she she didn't start the business, but back in Peru, my family had a steel mill, kind of like, you know, selling metal plates for construction. So yeah, very, also not a girly place, you know, and, and the stereotypical, I don't want to say girly and uh, like there's a place for women and men, but definitely it was all men, laborers uh, back in like the 90s with a lot of like shining path in Peru. It was a very scary time in Peru. And she was driving to work at this steel factory with her two brothers. So it was a family business. Her dad had started it. So her dad was the one that founded it. But then the three siblings took over. So it was my mom and uh, her two brothers ran it. It was pretty crazy going there. It was full on fights between the three and just like a really uh, intense business. So she'd leave the house at like 7 a.m and get back home at like 8 or 9 p.m. because it was really far away to the factory. So she was a really hardworking person. Definitely, an intro- I would say an entrepreneur, but she didn't start it, if that still counts. But Amazing. No, I think, yeah, I feel like we've seen that a lot. I think both Jimmy and I have moms that are business owners, that had been business owners, and then also only children. And thinking about some other entrepreneur friends, it's very common. And I have two daughters that are college age, and I figure they're going to go work at the post office because I'm constantly like, but don't you have a business idea? Like, don't you want to like... <laughs> grow something what's your marketing plan they're like i'm just in high school like i don't know that yet so yeah, yeah it kind of runs in the family i think and they, and they school they have a lot of those i don't have kids of my own yet but i remember in, in school like elementary school and, and middle school and high school they have those like kind of like business fairs where you're supposed to come up with like businesses and stuff so i think i don't know if those, do you think those are an indication do you think the entrepreneurs you've talked to like they're like the type of people that were like oh i ran a lemonade stand when i was five and you know like i hear people kind of tell stories like that that they've been 
merchants their whole life and trying business. <laughs> merchants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I would actually say, Gino, we've found more that it's the mentors that probably are a better reflection of what the people will become. At least for me, I had no desires about going into business and never even thought about it right. until I was about to start one with my previous boss who was 30 years older than me. But a lot of my mentors and who I talked to were business owners. So it wasn't strange for me to suddenly start doing this. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like, like, like I had the representation in my life, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, and there are some people that's like, yeah, I started a lemonade stand, sold it, you know, <laughs> moved on to cake, sold exit. that. Put it on their LinkedIn, you know, first exit, seven years old. <laughs> It's an exit. You don't have to disclose the amount. Yes. It it sold for a quarter, not a mill, just a quarter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, now that you say that, that that makes a lot of sense actually, because I'd never thought about it until just now, actually, that you said it, but Mm -hmm. my mom's brothers, then when the factory, like there was a whole credit crisis in Peru. So everyone restarted. Mm -hmm. So every business went out of business. And then Mm -hmm. my uncle like went on to start a scallop farming business, which he still runs. And then my other uncle went to fund like a credit union type of finance thing. And my dad also ran a store. It was like a home goods store. So I never thought about it. But now that you say it, everyone, all of the adults in my life were running a business, even if it wasn't like tech entrepreneurs stuff, it was they're running their own businesses. Yeah. So, so I, I was planning on asking you more about the differences between the United States and Latin America, but now I really want to get into the differences between the jewelry and the tech industry. How do you see similarities for yourself on being at a bench making jewelry compared to, you know, being at a desk? you know, work on a computer? Like, how did that, there's got to be some overlap in your brain. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, obviously the skills, like the handcraft of actually making jewelry can be a little bit different than designing a website or something in terms of it being more physical versus digital. But other than that, I think it's it's pretty similar on the product Hmm. development side. And then I think that the number one lesson I took from that business was how important persistence was because when I was younger, especially I would have an idea, run it for like six months and then have another idea and then abandon the first idea. And so then when I started getting into my late twenties, kind of like a few years ago, really, I was like, I really need to stop just starting and stopping things because the key to why Tecla was successful is that I kept running it since 2013 nonstop. So even if I had other ideas and other interests in my head, Tecla was my full time and I kept running it. And then, Mm. you know, obviously that led to a lot of growth that isn't linear, you know? So it's like maybe the first couple of years are really tough, but then the third one is huge growth. And then maybe the fourth one, a little slower, but the fifth one you did something and marketing wise, you figure it out and the sixth and the seventh. And so it's not linear. And I think that with the jewelry thing, I always look back and said, oh, I really should have stuck with it longer. I should have tried different pricing things. I should have, that's something I take now to like, you can apply it to every business. I feel like it's like, you got to persist a little bit or take time to really figure it out before you drop it. Cause there's not in like tech, especially it's like, Oh, pivot or, you know, just drop it as soon as you don't find product market fit or something's negative. And it's like, I always, I'm skeptical about that. It's like, okay, but when do you drop it? Cause literally the next week something could happen 
that turns it around. So it's always hard to know when to drop it, I think. And do you know, have you had mentors that have helped you with that? Like, how did you find mentors outside of maybe your family that were helping you kind of have those conversations or those discussions to help you make that decision about when to keep moving forward and maybe when to pivot? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of, first with Tekla, like my family, I think being involved, like, you know, my everyone in my family knows what I do, what Tekla does, like my company. And so I think getting all of the people that I, that I mentioned earlier involved in knowing what I was doing also keeps you more accountable because then you can have those conversations, right? Like when you meet up with those mentors, then you know they're going to ask you how things are going. And it actually keeps you, it's huge, even just besides the actual conversation that you're going to have with them that is obviously going to give you some great insights. Just the fact that you know that you have some accountability, even if it's to yourself, mm -hmm. to something that you've been like, you know, you're going to talk to someone about. And so some projects where I didn't involve mentors, like the jewelry one, yeah, it was more like, you know, I was telling my mom what I was doing and all this stuff. And then it was like, all of a sudden I had my website out, but I didn't get that many people involved. And I feel like that was easier than to fold because then it's like, well, no one's really watching and I can just give up. So yeah, so I feel like mentors are that support. It's also that like, kind of like an invisible support mechanism throughout the work week, you know, even if you don't have a meeting set up with one of them. I think it's really about the accountability. And I think that's really smart accountability mm -hmm. with that's what really mentors bring. And then also being able to bring problems. It sounds like a little bit of what you're saying is it's easy to be like, oh, this isn't working. I'm maybe embarrassed or like, I feel like I should just have this kind of image of what we see on social media of like incredible entrepreneurs just busting through figures, seven figures, eight figures, massive exits, you know, and I think we see that a lot. And if you're an entrepreneur, you're like, oh, this isn't me. Can I tell anybody that? Or should I just like pretend like that didn't happen and hope for the best for the next time? Um, do you get people wanting you to be their mentor because of the businesses that you started? And what kind of advice do you generally tend to give? Yeah, I have. And actually, uh, recently, a friend of my girlfriend's was starting a, a brand and, and she we had like several meetings where she was asking me questions about just starting the business that she wanted to start. And um, they were, you know, questions about more about like the business side and marketing and asking me about my experiences. And I always like find it like super humbling. I always feel like uh, I really I don't have I, I don't never approach it from a place of like, oh, let me tell you, like, what do you need to do so that you're successful? Because it's like, I mean, it's a journey and every day you're trying to figure it out yourself. So I feel like that's why I'm always a little skeptical too of like the YouTube channels and social media personalities that are always like, here's this course or listen to me and you're going to uh, do this or, you know, like you said, make a million dollars or whatever. But definitely it's it's humbling and it's it, the number one thing I think is like testing things. Like I always tell people like I can't because eventually you start talking about the specific business and, and this one, for example, was stationary. I've never purchased any any stationery or any like <laughs> decorative like notebook or anything like that so as a you know i think i try to keep myself out of giving feedback like oh this isn't gonna work or oh this design uh this design is great this design is bad i don't know about that that kind of like stationary design and so i think i you just stay 
away from the actual specifics and you try to say like, okay, well, have you tested this? Oh, this, like, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe if you talk to these people, try to sell it to them, maybe you can get that feedback to see if, you know, they would be interested or how much they would be willing to pay. And so I think I just mostly ask questions on uh, when I had those meetings, because it's like, you try to, that's really, I love to, when I approach people and I tell them my stuff and they give me a bunch of questions because then it's like okay i'm not prepared like you you got me on a few of those things but if they tell me like oh you know that 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 design uh, sucks i'd be like well what do you know that's a what not to do in a mentoring. Right, unless it's like you know like i'm getting mentored from like the best jewelry company in the world and i'm a jewelry and then they're like this sucks okay fine you you know you know jewelry but if some a lot of times mentorship is cross industry and so and totally different from the specific product that you or them have experience in so yeah so it's kind of i try to not be a bad mentor i guess there you go i mean trying is is a critical piece to the organ uh the, the part of mentoring in that relationship i feel like so many folks don't try it seems so simple but it's like you just got to kind of show up and care. I wanted to ask when you were talking about your mentors and how their consistency really helped you kind of stay on track. There's always this kind of piece of when do you start sharing like that you might not be feeling good about some things? Cause like in the beginning, mentees are always like, Hey, I'm going to bring energy. I'm going to bring excitement, but especially right. as a business owner, you don't need to tell me. I'm sure there's been some days where pulling your hair out, you don't know where cash is going to come from next, sales right. are down, you know, whatever. Is there some, something that kind of clicks in you about when it feels comfortable to start sharing like, hey, things aren't always rosy. This, this right. could be terrible. It's only like a 10% chance, but it could be terrible. Yeah, I'm smiling because... Jimmy, I don't have that problem at all. I grew up with all of the people I mentioned. It's like kind of like a thing, I think, in our family. Like no matter how good you're doing, it's going terrible. Whenever I talk <laughs> to any of my uncles, any any business that I was around when I was a kid, okay, even my mom's business, when they were doing really well, horrible, horrible year, like all of the bad news. So I really don't have that problem. I usually come to meetings and I people tell me like, well, why aren't you celebrating this, that? Why aren't you stopping to see that achievement? And because I'm like on the negative, like all 99% of what I bring is like the problems. I don't care to talk about the good stuff because that to me that I, I, so yeah, I think probably a balance would be better, but, uh, <laughs> but I try to just bring all the problems, bring all the negativity. Sometimes, I mean, I, I am looking for a little, I think, I mean, every entrepreneur has to be when it's like, especially if it's something like really creative, like, I mean, everything is because even like, you know, the logo, like our logo, like every, like when you're a small company, like the founder, like you're involved, like you're involved in doing everything that sees yeah. the light of your brand. And so you're, you know, self-conscious about it. So sometimes you come with like, Hey, I don't know about how I feel about that. Or I feel like that's not going to work. I feel like, and you're kind of like fishing for a little support. Uh, and yeah. I think that that's, that's the way I am. Uh, I have to balance actually being the always positive kind of CEO or like the, the, you know, you see some, I think who are like, Oh, like always Zen and always like positive. And then the <laughs> oh, next yeah, day we ran out of cash and they shut down. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. I think I, I like my, my approach better. I love it. At, at first, you know, I thought 
when you said, I don't have that problem, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, Tekla prints cash. Life is good, man. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no, it's terrible. <laughs> that's the answer I was hoping for at first. So it was just, uh, it, it, it cracked me up. So let, let me flip that then. How do you, if you are used to kind of bringing the negatives, and because I, I think most mentees are used to bringing the positive, how do you help the mentee feel comfortable when you're giving advice, when you're asking questions? Like, do you have something that you can like suddenly Maybe it's just a feeling where you're like, oh, this person started to trust me and share or you know, yeah. something you say, like maybe it's even like a humbling uh, statement where you're like, oh, yeah, today like X, Y, Z went terrible. How are things for you? You know, you kind of already like, like right. kind of set up the playing field. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I can empathize on is that a lot of conversations like this that I've had, I can relate that when I'm having a, a meeting with one of my mentors, I'm very self-conscious about what I'm saying sometimes. Like if I'm explaining a new project that I'm doing, then it's like, okay, this is the idea we have on like the marketing thing. And, you know, obviously like, I don't think they can I don't think they would say like, oh, it seems like you're lacking confidence on this. But I know that it I'm it's a test. It's a hypothesis. And so I'm like trying to really describe accurately what we're trying to do. And you're always trying to like, describe it in a way that other people are like, oh, that's a good idea. That makes sense. That's so, you know, every, you're always pitching, right? You're always pitching, I think, when you're a founder. And so I'm pitching my marketing project. And I can tell that when it's inverse, when I'm like the mentor, the first thing I want to do is make him like confident and calm that like, yeah, just like, you know, tell me what the idea is and you know don't hold anything back like basically like create a safe space because i feel like when you're pitching anything like you're you feel like you're being judged you know especially when, when you're like you're like founder and telling you my idea and so and i feel people's tone change like when i'm talking to people and we're not in something like this then they they tell you something totally confident normal and then when it's like okay i have this idea i want to talk to you about then it's like you start kind of yeah just feeling a little self-conscious about what you're saying because the other person is like listening and you feel like they're judging what you're what you're saying so i think the first thing is probably like create that environment where people feel safe to share and safe to just really like dig into the idea and that all ideas are good it's kind of like that thing about like there's no bad questions i mean when you're talking about entrepreneurship like just pitch it pitch it good and then let's like work on things or ask some questions poke some holes see if there's some weaknesses to it but but obviously like the idea thing for a lot of entrepreneurs is like really personal so it's like you know you're gonna maybe be judging maybe it's a stupid idea or something like that so i think creating that safe space is super important because then you create that really like that environment where you can say anything and then you, i think like you're actually fixing problems because like if you watch like tv or you're watching like you're on social media like, like you guys were saying like the picture looks totally different right like everything is success everything is new funding rounds and, and, and new things going on and so that kind of like you don't realize that really like business is just like day-to-day -day problems really like everyone every business has the same kind of challenges and so at the end of the day I think it's less glamour than it seems. Gina, you know, I know you're talking about challenges. You know, augmenters prints money. Life is good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. But Gino, okay, I love this. Pitch it, pitch it good. I haven't heard that before, so I love that. But I want to give you the opportunity. Pitch it. What do you do? Tell us about your company. And well, we'll tell you whether or not it sucks well, or not. Well, it's good. <laughs> yeah, you can be judging it. Yeah, well, for, for the past 10 years. Well, first, so, hold on. Gino, did, did we do a good job to create a safe space? 
Yes, yes, yes. No, I feel, okay, so I feel like, you know, especially with uh, with Tekla, after 10 years, I think you you kind of get a little more comfortable talking about the business. But you know, I'm more referring to like when you have a new, it's like maybe a new business you're bringing up and it's like, oh, I don't, it's, it's, it's really nerve wracking to even share the idea of fear mm-hmm. that it's good. It's being judged, you know, by the, by the market eventually, which is the important thing, but it's being judged even by your parents if you're telling your parents or your siblings or friends. But no, at Tekla for, for the past 10 years, we've been working with with US companies, mostly technology and software companies, helping them recruit and identify talent in Latin America. So we're so it's a company that obviously really close to my heart because obviously I'm, you know I'm from I'm from Peru and most of our team is from Latin America and so our focus has always been to really help top talent in countries like Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, find those, you know, opportunities with US technology companies, which it's it's obviously historically and still the case that the top technology companies are coming out of the US. And of course, Latin America is is growing and you know, every region is, I think, putting in a lot of effort to in a way, catch up, right? Of course, to everyone's the next Silicon Valley. So that tells you mm-hmm. that still the US is number one in tech. And But there's a lot of great talent in, in LATAM. And so we try to help companies and candidates, you know, connect and, and be able to, to work together remotely. I think it sounds great. How does mentoring fit? I'd be really curious when you're bringing in sort of these new team members, right? From you have a cultural difference, potentially you have, I mean, you have a legitimate cultural difference between Latin America and North America. And then of course you have the corporate culture to get adjusted to potentially, you know, sort of work timing, like how does mentoring fit into your ways of integrating your teams onto their, onto their assignments? Yeah, that, that's the number one thing that we've invested time and money and really everything into the past few years is mentoring candidates to be able to be at the level in every single way, not just technical skills, but really more soft skills. So what you were saying, but also mentoring the hiring managers in the US, because like you were saying, it's not just a one way street, it's two cultures. If the company, most of our clients are companies that come to us and they they already maybe have 300 employees. They're, you know, I don't know if that's a small, mid-sized company, but definitely it's not just like two founders. It's some larger companies and, and they have a lot of management layers. And so it's also mentoring them on, okay, you know, this is what you can expect on interviews. This is what you should know. And this is how you should approach it. And same with the candidates. And so on the candidate side, we've spent a lot of time specifically on what you said on corporate culture and work culture. Those that's where we see the biggest friction. I mean, when it's like interviews, the first five minutes and it's like our warm up, for example, before the podcast where we're just chatting, and we're talking about igloos and college and stuff. And that is fine. Like, obviously, there's a lot of cultural similarities between Latin America and the US. And so great conversation there. But a lot of the times it's when the process gets into the later interviews or even working together, that's really working together is when like the first month is where we, where we work with candidates the most to like ask them, how are you feeling at the new company? How are things going? And uh, we've had these like YouTube episodes where we've interviewed some of them and they were really frank and saying like, Hey, like my manager like was really blunt and I didn't know if they mm-hmm. were mad at me, if they were unhappy with my work, I wasn't used to the way that the manager communicated. And um At first, I was kind of skeptical about the whole international business and so many work cultures. Like back when I was in 
college, I was like, no, that doesn't exist. That, that That's not as important. And then, I mean, running this company, you really, really realize how everything is important from, I mean, I've even heard candidates say like, my manager just writes to me about work, doesn't even say hi, or how was your weekend? Or how are you? And in, you know, Latin culture, like you have to start with like, oh, good morning. Like, it, it's so crazy. Even me with like the people that I work with really closely. I, okay, we get it out of the way, like knowing that it's just like, okay, hello, good morning and everything. But you have to kind of work yourself a little into the work stuff uh, versus like, I'm sure in the US, like, there's a lot of cultures that's like copy paste, like, where's this assignment? How's this coming? When's this? It doesn't seem like it. But yeah, the, the pace and the work culture is, is really different. So yeah, a lot of mentoring that our uh, recruiters do with candidates and that our whole, everyone is equipped at our company to be able to help candidates in, in whatever stage they're in. So would you say there's a difference also in how leaders act in high-performing teams across the U.S.? and in Latin America, where if in Latin America, it's everybody and any level is going to be saying, hello, how was the weekend? What's going on? You know, whereas, you know, in the U.S., is, is there something different? Like, like, is there is there a difference in how those like initial interactions go down with uh, just better leaders? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like at that leadership level, I don't know if I have the best you know, sort of view of like that C-suite in Latin America and like comparing to that C-suite in the U.S. But mm -hmm. definitely the U.S. has this hustle culture that is just the way that business works in the U.S. And I see it permeating globally because of pop culture, TV, Shark Tank, everything like that, right? And so, yeah, definitely. Like, there's, there's, yeah, there, there's Shark Tank, Colombia, and there's like Shark Tank, like Mexico and Latin America. And it's and it's like, you know, it's going to be like cutthroat kind of thing. You know, the, the sharks have to be pretty like Kevin O'Leary type thing, you know, and, and a lot of them are in those shows, even in Latin America, where like, they're not like that in real life. Like, it's, it's different than... But that's like the the kind of like the view that that we have, I think, in the U.S. of like hustle culture. And I see that a lot in Latin America now with like new entrepreneurs that, yeah, they contact me to be like a mentor and just talk to me about their ideas. And we talk about their businesses and they're definitely like really hustling. And, and yeah, that, you know, that that's definitely different than even 10 years ago. Like when I first started Tech Lab, this was 10 years ago in Peru and you can tell the difference in like the entrepreneurship hustle culture. But otherwise, I mean, as far as the leadership teams, you know, I don't spend too much time with uh, like current uh, Latin American like COOs or C-suites. So I don't know. I don't know. I know that definitely things are still a little different from the meetings that I'm like in, but, but I don't have enough info, I think. Do you know, I have a question. Since it sounds like you've integrated a lot of teams um, in different ways. What would be the one piece of advice you have for a new person coming onto a new team, right? You have sort of setting somebody up for success in your business. What would be the advice for the person coming in? And what would be the advice for somebody onboarding somebody new? Just that one piece of advice. I think onboarding is expectations. Like from the get-go, be very clear about what, first of all, you have to know what your expectations are of the hire. And you have to then make those expectations very clear to the hire. And then on the, you know, I think for the candidate, it's the same thing. I think you have to understand 
what the expectations are going to be because it happens. I mean, it happens to us as a company when we're hiring, because even as a recruiting company, it's like you're, you know, you're perfect in hiring. Like obviously you, you spend a lot of time optimizing that, but we ourselves notice this and all of the companies we work with and the candidates, it's like the interview process can never be like the real thing. It's like training versus the actual match. And so like things are different, even if you try to make it as similar to the real thing as possible. And so a lot of the times it's the expectations like candidates will say, like, I was not expecting this to be as fast paced. And maybe even on the hiring manager, hiring manager side too, it's like, I wasn't expecting A, B and C to be a problem. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that's the, the number one, the number one thing. Expectations. Yeah. What's the biggest concern that new potential people who you interview at Tecla to then place at a U.S. firm, what do they usually say is their biggest concern about a U.S. workforce? When it's their first time working internationally, then I think it's just a lot of times the confidence, like they're not confident that their English is good enough for their communication. They're not sure if they're at the level. I think we have a lot of that in Latin America. We don't feel like we're at the level in a lot of things. And obviously the U.S. being like number one in many aspects from business to athletics, it's like you do have to work with candidates and um, let them see that they are prepared because we've seen it. We're like, you are prepared. Like we, your communication skills are great. Your English is great. You can really talk about the technology and the actual development work that you've done and the technical skills are great. So you're going to do well. And so a lot of times it's that self-sabotage, I think, for a lot of candidates that are new to the experience. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a big step for a lot of the candidates, for sure. It's a big step. I mean, some of the companies we work with are really, really awesome companies, like real big names that you'd be like, oh, that's, I don't know, like I can't do that, you know. And even in the U.S., I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Like when it's like a company that has that name, like I'm sure Facebook, like, I mean, if you're interviewing for Facebook or Google, those are companies where you're like, uh, I don't think I fit in there and you kind of self-sabotage. But it sometimes it does take a mentor to tell you like, no, like, you know, we like you you can do this based like accurately not just like a pep talk like everyone needs to get pep talk but like your anyone your family or friends can do that but like an accurate like no i I really really think you have all of the what you need for this job so i think that's the number one thing is that unknown and kind of like helping uh, people get out of their heads a little bit yeah 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 yeah. exactly yeah and the benchmarking it's their first time so they don't know they they're like i don't think i'm at the level and they don't have anything to compare against and they don't necessarily hear feedback like that unless it's somebody who they who the individual thinks cares about them. You know, like if I just walked on the street and somebody was like, "Hey, you're gonna have a great day," I'm like, "Okay, thanks, buddy." You know, that's very different. Than, <laughs> Does that happen know. in Baltimore? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> yeah, especially by the park. But no, but that that's like was my takeaway from what you just said, Gino. That like. Hey, you need to develop some of this rapport and and listen and have some vulnerable conversations before you can actually tell somebody, hey, here's a benchmark you should hold. Even if that person hasn't actually physically been to that benchmark or seen it themselves, they can then firewalk with your words because they know you care about them. Yeah, the the really cool thing is when we see a lot of the candidates that we've mentored, they've become mentors. Then they are like active on LinkedIn and they're sharing their tips and insight mm. on how to and then they can do it better than us really because they're obviously they've, they've actually had the job and the job that other 
people want. And I think that that's huge, like mentorship and on the candidate side and not just internationally, but like in the US, every candidate you look up to find that person that has that job that you want or find that person that is in the position that you want to be in. That's I feel like that has to be the best mentorship. I mean, in my, I don't know if you guys disagree or have other viewpoints, but that you know, it's kind of like, it's definitely part. one main aspect of it. Even as you were sharing before, Gino, like if somebody comes and says, I want to make a stationary company with these beautiful notebooks, you're like, cool. I don't have really an opinion on, you know, line versus online or sparkles, but like, I get, you know, I get how to run a business. So I think there's, advice you can always give just as an outside perspective, but lived experience. And that's why I think for entrepreneurs, having other entrepreneurs as mentors who have actually lived the experience is the, is, is the most valuable, but other people's experience is really valuable as well. So I think it's really cool to hear about folks who have had the experience. They've firewalked, they've gone through the hard times, they've gone through the adjustments, been like, what is wrong with these Americans? Can't they just like calm the F down? And like, why are they working a hundred million hours? And why are they shooting me these like terrible notes saying like, get your stuff done? But then to be like, okay, that's just how they are. Like that's how they've been raised. That's what they believe is like the right thing to do. They're just feral animals. So <laughs> just only zoom with them. Don't meet in person. Feral animals. Society. Yeah. It's society's fault. Just don't put your hand near their mouths, and you'll be fine. But to hear that, like it's going to be okay. And I think that's sometimes just what you need to hear from a mentor, right? Like what you're going through is normal, and it's going to be okay. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And I'm, I'm, I. I, I find it really funny that, that that's kind of like definitely what, what we take out of my description of the U.S. work culture is just like, yeah, I mean, I'm part of it. So I, I, I have that, like I have that hybrid, I think, culture. And I mean, I'm more of like a hustle type work as well. Um, and so I find myself also like a lot of the times. And so it's an exercise. You find yourself like you make sure that every person you speak to, you know, the right way to communicate because it's not a matter of like people working faster or slower than each other it's just really it's all about communication i think that's it and like the cultural norms and stuff and even like you know remote makes it hard because sometimes you don't have the the physical and the tone and you know the the typical things and so it's even even more apparent when you're working internationally that you have to you know be careful about how things come through but yeah no but you know i i got i have a question that i'm going to lead with, with an anecdote but it's going to be about your leadership and how from the top, you kind of set the culture, which obviously is going to influence your recruiting at Tecla for your staff, not just the folks who you place. Mm-hmm. But uh, when when we first got introduced via email, I went to your website. And I don't know if you know or remember, but in the middle of your first page of the website, you say top companies trust Tecla to augment their LATAM recruitment. And I was like... Okay, Gino and I will be friends. You know, he's got augment in the middle of the website. We're augmenters. This will work. So oh, augmentation well, is a huge word for us. We use like I think that's like our top word on our website and everything because um, like that's how like the the business model I think has gotten this trend in staffing of being like an augmentation of the workforce and stuff. So and again, it's a reason we should get along when when you can have names that uh, overlap and can be punny. Life is better. Yeah. Uh, so as as you're augmenting other companies hiring practices, what do you do as a leader thinking about, you know, how you communicate or, you know, how you represent yourself, which is how you represent the company externally? As the CEO, Gino, and as the leader, how do you set the tone for hiring? How do you set the tone for your company's culture for bringing on new people? 
to Tekla and how do you like, like what's the biggest improvement you've made in the last 10 years in like your style of leadership so that when people do come on board, they more instantaneously go, Oh yeah, I get it. I get what Tekla is as, as a culture and this is how I can be part of it. Yeah. I mean that that's like the, one of the, the hardest things I think is to really set that culture or, you know, that, that word that has been so, I feel like the word culture for startups has, it went from like, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it was like everyone was talking about culture. Then it had a bad rap for a little bit. And it was like, culture is just about people hiring other people like themselves, right? I don't know if you guys remember that phase of the word culture, but in entrepreneurship, then it took that that negative approach. It was more like a bias. Like, oh, you don't fit our culture, which means you don't look like us. Yeah, exactly. You don't look like us, talk like us, or our word, you know, you don't, you don't, mm-hmm. we don't, we wouldn't be friends. And everyone wanted to be a family and friends and stuff like that. And uh, like every startup, right? And I just, I don't like that at all. Like when I think about culture, it really is like the core of it, just like mutual respect and communication and empathy, like the, the core values. But then I think that with that, you can hire anywhere in the world. You can, you know, build great things with with people, yeah, anywhere in the world. But definitely, so should, you know, is there one change you've made in the last 10 years where you're like, oh, I need to position this and be consistent about it differently? Um, I don't think I can think of one specific change. But um I mean, we definitely hire like hire more for diversity and not just like the diversity of like the stat on a sheet of like, oh, we have so many females. We have so many, you know, people of color, like, no, not that, but just like cross industry, cross like their experience, like they've worked in different things because, you know, gender, everything, all of that is obvious that that you know, shouldn't matter when you're hiring. That's, that's obvious. But then also like be open to people with different experiences and backgrounds professionally, like obviously personally really matters too, but professionally, like just from different backgrounds and stuff. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the, that's been the biggest change there, Jimmy, like the personality, like when we're interviewing, like, does this person have the right personality? Are they interested in what we're doing? And do they really feel that same like LATAM thing that we do to like, try to uh, like represent Latin America in a positive light? And like, do they really share the the values and and, and I think those are, those, we always tell companies that like companies are so quick in, in technology hiring to be like, they have everything, but they have only worked with Angular 2 and not Angular 3. So reject it. And it's like, really? They can't look at one documentation and pick that up in like a week because the soft skills of that person are so much more important. So I think hiring for character and personality, I mean, personality in the sense of like, not if like you're going to be friends with that person, that really doesn't matter if you're going to be friends with that person outside of work, but more in terms of character. Yeah, I think that's the word is hire for character. And obviously then uh, the skills can be, can be built if they're lacking on some areas. Yeah. I love it. Hire for the soft skills. Yeah. Away yeah. 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 We've made that change internally and we've, we've tried to get clients to also do, and we've noticed it actually through the pandemic and after now the pandemic, more companies are focusing on that than before. I don't know what specifically about the time period about obviously many things happened and changed um, in work culture with the pandemic, but I don't know exactly what, but coming out of it, a lot more companies are like, Let me tell you about all the soft skills that I need. Whereas before, like before pandemic, I swear it was like, let me tell you about all the technologies that they need to know. And then, you know, yeah, they need to communicate and all that stuff. Um, So it's been crazy to see that difference. I don't know what did it, maybe remote work and people, I don't know. I don't know what it was. 
Gino, thank you so much for your time. Before we roll, though, I want to go through a brief rapid fire word association with you. So I'm going to give you four words and, you know, whatever, you know, verbal Rorschach test comes to mind for you. So if I say the word mentor, what do you think of? Family for me. How about mentee? Support. The word sponsor? Growth. Mm. And lastly, coach. I don't know if I can give you one word for coach, but I love like coach to me. That's like the most important thing that everyone should have, like a coach. Uh, and that's why, like, I feel like team sports, I feel I, I feel like team sports huge in every person and not just team, not just like athletics, but like anything team or like group oriented when you're growing up and you have a coach. That's huge to me, like the most important, some of the most important people in my life were my coaches and like the lessons really have helped me in in everything I've done, like work and, and also personal life. So yeah, I would say critical for a coach. Yeah, critical. I, I needed I needed that whole time to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're you you define rapid fire a little differently. But <laughs> yeah. uh it, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I, I like critical a lot actually. We haven't had that before. That was wonderful. Well, Gino, thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you've, you're, you're doing. Uh, your message about uh, both consistency and now like consistently thinking about the soft skills, I think that's a big deal. And you've obviously demonstrated that over the last 10 years. Thank you so much for your time. Can I tell you the first thing I loved about Gino? No, only the last. Quick. <laughs> the last thing for me was jewelry. Who knew... I mean, I could tell that Gino had an attention to detail, but he had experience making jewelry and what a wonderful like lens to approach problem solving. Yes. It's so, well, it is, it's exactly, it's very detail oriented, is able to use a lot of different skills and senses that apparently have really helped him in all of the work he's done. But of course, you know, for me, it's all about the mom. So I loved that his mom was his early mentor. And I can totally imagine the conversations of him being like, okay, look, mom, here's what I want to do. Here's my marketing plan. And his mom be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. That's nice. You know, and kind of like, okay. But then later being like, actually, here's somebody you should talk to. So I think that's really fun. I guess just my mom has had a million dreams about different businesses she wanted to start. She actually probably thought of Mrs. Fields cookies before Mrs. Fields. And she yeah. loved talking about business ideas. Um, so that was like kind of a topic of conversation for us as it is with my family as well. So I really related to that part. That's where I immediately was hooked to Gino's story. I heard cookies. I don't understand. <laughs> I lost you. Do you like the yummy smell and like the gooey, delicious ones? That come out without being baked, gooey and delicious. <laughs> that concerns somebody who has experience in uh, packaged food goods. <laughs> it's okay. It's all good. We all survived. Other than Gino also being in love with the world augment, I was really taken by Gino with what he said at the end. I mean, what we just listened to where he was talking about that hiring for character and hiring for soft skills is actually the hard skill for organizations. Mm. And that was fascinating to me because everybody puts in these prerequisites. For example, I was looking at a prerequisite list today. Oh no, are you looking for a, a job? <laughs> Always going, get me out of here. Get me, get me behind, behind this mic. I can't move. And it was saying things like, you need five years of tax accounting work and five years of being a CPA. Great. I then looked at all of the 
job requirements for my friend. Of the 15 different bullets of like what you're going to be doing on a responsibilities roles basis, two, maybe three mention the word tax in like a preparation. Mm. That means the majority, almost 80% of the line items were all about soft skills. And then maybe a little bit about organization, like budgeting, planning, you know, communication on time. It was all soft skills and it just cracked me up. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're talking about Gino later today. And like Gino said, yeah, that's the hard part. Totally. It is the hard part. And I think you and I have spent a lot of time talking about how do organizations account for that? How can they find out if somebody has these soft skills? Because there aren't, there's no like certificate to show that you are somebody with soft skills and there's no class that you can get a, a diploma from. No one can tell if you have a GPA for charisma. So how yeah, you are you supposed Charisma is the easy one to tell, Julie. Of all the soft skills, you choose charisma. Okay, that's good. But yeah, how can you tell on somebody's resume if they have charisma or not? Or if they have like good active listening skills or they're able to practice empathy? None of those soft skills are part of any of these job descriptions of which you mentioned. It's going to be very hard to see empathy in anything written unless you are yourself very empathetic. I agree. But I do think it's funny that you brought up charisma first, because that is probably the one thing that actually jumps off because of the excitement. But no, you're, you're totally right. I'm giving you a hard time. But uh, yeah, these soft skills are just so critical. And Gino sees it every day. So it was really interesting to hear, especially how he mentors, even coaches, assist both his staff and his clients, how to get through these cultural differences and unlock the soft skills that everybody has within them. You know, we, we start with almost everybody has these abilities ready to go. It's just sometimes very hard based upon our emotional bandwidth, how busy we are, other frustrations. And if you can take a step back, be humble, avoid self-sabotage and negative thoughts, you're really going to change the way your relationships are. And I, I mean, it sounds simple, but Gino laid out how hard it can be, but how critical it is for business. Gino clearly figured it out. Totally, totally. And like you said, I love how that's a big part of his coaching for his team, but also for his clients and how can you create that sort of cross-cultural. And, and I think cross-cultural business opportunities are actually a way to just learn how to communicate better mm. because you're not coming from a shared language. You have to communicate more slowly, more not like speaking slowly, but you have to be more clear in what you're asking. You have to be more specific and in a way that really forces you to kind of slow down and be more thoughtful. Wait, Julia, are you telling people in 2023 to take a breath, smile, and then talk? <gasps> You're brilliant. <laughs> Why did anybody else think of that? You can't see my middle finger on the podcast. <laughs> Julie for president. No, I'm actually giving you props. I'm like, this is the one time I'm not giving you a hard time. I think, no, I think that's a big deal. Like I, I yeah. And if we're, it just forces you to have like to have better communication. I think when you're always with people who are just like you and who you have a shorthand with, it makes it harder to to slow it. You don't have to practice those same skills. And I think as we're talking about diversity within organizations, not just, you know, sort of across borders, but across cultures, across gender, across different kind of mindsets, I think it's really important to know that you have to slow down and communicate. And that's really what mentoring is here to do to be able to yep. create those bridges. So Gino was already an augmenter before he knew he was. Through and through and already setting expectations and like being attuned to each person. You might have different expectations and meetings for different people. Julie shows up dripping with charisma. You may need to say, all right, 
easy. We know you got it. You know, let's let let's let somebody else step up. And and, and that could be very different attunement coaching. But that's that's where the best you know managers come from. Like actually caring individually about each team member. Julie, I really love your point actually about take a deep breath and think before you talk. That will go a long way to connect better with others. And I mean, I could try practicing it too. <laughs> you don't have to do that when you're on the podcast. It's dead air. It's not good. But yeah, no, I loved this time with Gino and it was really fun to get to spend time with him. Thanks, Gino. Thanks, Gino. Augmenters out. See ya. Wow, you've made it this far and we thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed our episode and discovered new ways to bring more authentic connection into your mentoring relationships. Want to tell them more, Jimmy? Be an Augmenter with us. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about. Like and subscribe. And yes, really, you following our show and writing a review, it's a big deal. Your actions provide us with the resources to continue our undefeated, unencumbered, prize-winning productions. We welcome questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us or on social with our handle at AugmentorsHQ. We are most active and available on LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out an earnest thank you to our intrepid producer, Erlen Cato. We appreciate you. Augmenters out. See ya.